0: Chapter 7, Part 1, of Supplements to the First Book, Second Half, The Doctrine of the Abstract Idea or Thinking, From the World as Will and Idea, Volume 2, by Arthur Schopenhauer. Translated by R. B. Haldane and J. Kemp. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. The Doctrine of the Idea of Perception, Chapter 7, on the relation of the concrete knowledge of perception to abstract knowledge part one. it has been shown that conceptions derive their material from knowledge of perception and therefore the entire structure of our world of thought rests upon the world of perception we must therefore be able to go back from every conception even if only indirectly through intermediate conceptions to the perceptions from which it is either itself directly derived or those conceptions are derived of which it is again an abstraction that is to say we must be able to support it with perceptions which stand to the abstractions in the relation of examples these perceptions thus afford the real content of all our thought and whenever they are wanting we have not had conceptions but mere words in our heads. In this respect our intellect is like a bank, which if it is to be sound must have cash in its safe so as to be able to meet all the notes it has issued in case of demand. The perceptions are the cash, the conceptions are the notes. In this sense the perceptions might very appropriately be called primary and the conceptions on the other hand secondary ideas not quite so aptly the schoolmen following the example of aristotle metaphysics six eleven and eleven one called real things substantiae primae and the conceptions substantiae secundae books impart only secondary ideas mere conceptions of a thing without perception give only a general knowledge of it we only have a thorough understanding of things and their relations so far as we are able to represent them to ourselves in pure distinct perceptions without the aid of words to explain words by words to compare concepts with concepts in which most philosophizing consists is a trivial shifting about of the concept spheres in order to see which goes into the other and which does not at the best we can in this way only arrive at conclusions But even conclusions give no really new knowledge but only show us all that lay in the knowledge we already possessed and what part of it perhaps might be applicable to the particular case on the other hand to perceive to allow the things themselves to speak to us to apprehend new relations of them and then to take up and deposit all this in conceptions in order to possess it with certainty that gives new knowledge But while almost every one is capable of comparing conceptions with conceptions to compare conceptions with perceptions is a gift of the select few it is the condition according to the degree of its perfection of wit judgment ingenuity genius the former faculty on the contrary results in little more than possibly rational reflections the inmost kernel of all genuine and actual knowledge is a perception and every new truth is the profit or gain yielded by a perception all original thinking takes place in images and this is why imagination is so necessary an instrument of thought and minds that lack imagination will never accomplish much unless it be in mathematics on the other hand merely abstract thoughts which have no kernel of perception are like cloud structures without reality even writing and speaking whether didactic or poetical has for its final aim to guide the reader to the same concrete knowledge from which the author started if it has not this aim it is bad this is why the contemplation and observing of every real thing as soon as it presents something new to the observer is more instructive than any reading or hearing for indeed if we go to the bottom of the matter all truth and wisdom nay the ultimate secret of things is contained in each real object yet certainly only in concreto just as gold lies hidden in the ore the difficulty is to extract it from a book on the contrary at the best we only receive the truth at second-hand and oftener not at all in most books putting out of account those that are thoroughly bad the author when their content is not altogether empirical has certainly thought but not perceived he has written from reflection not from intuition and it is this that makes them commonplace and tedious for what the author has thought could always have been thought by the reader also if he had taken the same trouble indeed it consists simply of intelligent thought full exposition of what is implicite contained in the theme But no actually new knowledge comes in this way into the world this is only created in the moment of perception of direct comprehension of a new side of the thing when therefore on the contrary sight has formed the foundation of an author's thought it is as if he wrote from a land where the reader has never been for all is fresh and new because it is drawn directly from the original source of all knowledge let me illustrate the distinction here touched upon by a perfectly easy and simple example any commonplace writer might easily describe profound contemplation or petrifying astonishment by saying he stood like a statue but cervantes says like a clothed statue for the wind moved his garments don quixote book six chapter nineteen it is thus that all great minds have ever thought in presence of the perception and kept their gaze steadfastly upon it in their thought we recognize this from this fact among others that even the most opposite of them so often agree and coincide in some particular because they all speak of the same thing which they all had before their eyes the world the perceived reality indeed in a certain degree they all say the same thing and others never believe them we recognize it further in the appropriateness and originality of the expression which is always perfectly adapted to the subject because it has been inspired by perception in the naivete of the language the freshness of the imagery and the impressiveness of the similes all of which qualities without exception distinguish the works of great minds and on the contrary are always wanting in the works of others accordingly only commonplace forms of expression and trite figures are at the service of the latter and they never dare to allow themselves to be natural under penalty of displaying their vulgarity in all its dreary barrenness instead of this they are affected mannerists hence buffon says le style est l'homme même." if men of commonplace mind write poetry they have certain traditional conventional opinions passions noble sentiments etc which they have received in the abstract and a tribute to the heroes of their poems who are in this way reduced to mere personifications of those opinions and are thus themselves to a certain extent abstractions and therefore insipid and tiresome if they philosophize they have taken in a few wide abstract conceptions which they turn about in all directions as if they had to do with algebraical equations and hope that something will come of it at the most we see that they have all read the same things such a tossing to and fro of abstract conceptions after the manner of algebraical equations which is nowadays called dialectic does not like real algebra afford certain results for here the conception which is represented by the word is not a fixed and perfectly definite quality such as are symbolised by the letters in algebra but is wavering and ambiguous and capable of extension and contraction strictly speaking all thinking that is combining of abstract conceptions has at the most the recollections of earlier perceptions for its material and this only indirectly so far as it constitutes the foundation of all conceptions real knowledge on the contrary that is immediate knowledge is perception alone new fresh perception itself now the concepts which the reason has framed and the memory has preserved cannot all be present to consciousness at once but only a very small number of them at a time on the other hand the energy with which we apprehend what is present in perception in which really all that is essential in all things generally is virtually contained and represented is apprehended fills the consciousness in one moment with its whole power upon this depends the infinite superiority of genius to learning they stand to each other as the text of an ancient classic to its commentary all truth and all wisdom really lies ultimately in perception but this unfortunately can neither be retained nor communicated the objective conditions of such communication can certainly be presented to others purified and illustrated through plastic and pictorial art and even much more directly through poetry but it depends so much upon subjective conditions which are not at the command of everyone and of no one at all times nay indeed in the higher degrees of perfection are only the gift of the favoured few only the worst knowledge abstract secondary knowledge the conception the mere shadow of true knowledge is unconditionally communicable if perceptions were communicable that would be a communication worth the trouble but at last every one must remain in his own skin and skull and no one can help another to enrich the conception from perception is the unceasing endeavour of poetry and philosophy however the aims of man are essentially practical and for these it is sufficient that what he has apprehended through perception should leave traces in him by virtue of which he will recognize it in the next similar case thus he becomes possessed of worldly wisdom thus as a rule the man of the world cannot teach his accumulated truth and wisdom but only make use of it he rightly comprehends each event as it happens and determines what is in conformity with it that books will not take the place of experience nor learning of genius are two kindred phenomena their common ground is that the abstract can never take the place of the concrete books therefore do not take the place of experience because conceptions always remain general and consequently do not get down to the particular which however is just what has to be dealt with in life and besides this all conceptions are abstracted from what is particular and perceived in experience, and therefore one must have come to know these in order adequately to understand even the general conceptions which the books communicate learning cannot take the place of genius because it also affords merely conceptions but the knowledge of genius consists in the apprehension of the platonic ideas of things and therefore is essentially intuitive thus in the first of these phenomena the objective condition of perceptive or intuitive knowledge is wanting in the second the subjective the former may be attained the latter cannot wisdom and genius these two summits of the parnassus of human knowledge have their foundation not in the abstract and discursive but in the perceptive faculty wisdom proper is something intuitive not something abstract it does not consist in principles and thoughts which one can carry about ready in his mind as results of his own research or that of others but it is the whole manner in which the world presents itself in his mind this varies so much that on account of it the wise man lives in another world from the fool and the genius sees another world from the blockhead that the works of the man of genius immeasurably surpass those of all others arises simply from the fact that the world which he sees and from which he takes his utterances is so much clearer as it were more profoundly worked out than that in the minds of others which certainly contains the same objects but is to the world of the man of genius as the chinese picture without shading and perspective is to the finished oil painting the material is in all minds the same but the difference lies in the perfection of the form which it assumes in each upon which the numerous grades of intelligence ultimately depend these grades thus exist in the root in the perceptive or intuitive apprehension and do not first appear in the abstract hence original mental superiority shows itself so easily when the occasion arises and is at once felt and hated by others in practical life the intuitive knowledge of the understanding is able to guide our action and behaviour directly while the abstract knowledge of the reason can only do so by means of the memory hence arises the superiority of intuitive knowledge in all cases which admit of no time for reflection thus for daily intercourse in which just on this account women excel only those who intuitively know the nature of men as they are as a rule and thus comprehend the individuality of the person before them will understand how to manage him with certainty and rightly another may know by heart all the three hundred maxims of gratian but this will not save him from stupid mistakes and misconceptions if he lacks that intuitive knowledge for all abstract knowledge affords us primarily mere general principles and rules but the particular case is almost never to be carried out exactly according to the rule then the rule itself has to be presented to us at the right time by the memory which seldom punctually happens then the propositio minor has to be formed out of the present case and finally the conclusion drawn before all this is done the opportunity has generally turned its back upon us and then those excellent principles and rules serve at the most to enable us to measure the magnitude of the error we have committed certainly with time we gain in this way experience and practice which slowly grows to knowledge of the world and thus in connection with this the abstract rules may certainly become fruitful on the other hand the intuitive knowledge which always apprehends only the particular stands in immediate relation to the present case rule case and application are for it one and action follows immediately upon it this explains why in real life the scholar whose preeminence lies in the province of abstract knowledge is so far surpassed by the man of the world whose preeminence consists in perfect intuitive knowledge which original disposition conferred on him and a rich experience has developed the two kinds of knowledge always stand to each other in the relation of paper money and hard cash and as there are many cases and circumstances in which the former is to be preferred to the latter so there are also things and situations for which abstract knowledge is more useful than intuitive if for example it is a conception that in some cases guides our action when it is once grasped it has the advantage of being unalterable and therefore under its guidance we go to work with perfect certainty and consistency but this certainty which the conception confers on the subjective side is outweighed by the uncertainty which accompanies it on the objective side the whole conception may be false and groundless or the object to be dealt with may not come under it for it may be either not at all or not altogether of the kind which belongs to it now, if in the particular case we suddenly become conscious of something of this sort, we are put out altogether. If we do not become conscious of it, the result brings it to light. Therefore, Voynard says, personne sujet a plus de fautes qui que par réflexion. If, on the contrary, it is direct perception of the objects to be dealt with and their relations that guides our action, we easily hesitate at every step for the perception is always modifiable, is ambiguous, has inexhaustible details in itself, and shows many sides in succession. We act, therefore, without full confidence. But the subjective uncertainty is compensated by the objective certainty, for here there is no conception between the object and us, we never lose sight of it. If, therefore, we only see correctly what we have before us and what we do, we shall hit the mark. Our action then is perfectly sure only when it is guided by a conception, the right ground of which its completeness and applicability to the given cause is perfectly certain. Action in accordance with conceptions may pass into pedantry, action in accordance with a perceived impression into levity and folly. End of chapter seven, part one recording by expatriate in Bangor, Maine.